And so, Holy Spirit, would you inspire and enlighten us with your celestial fire? For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. And if you're not here, then nothing else matters. Amen. Amen. The Bible is filled with plants and trees and teaching and stories that include plants and trees. Abraham meets three visitors near the great trees of Mamre in Genesis 18. Elijah sits under a juniper tree praying that he might die in 1 Kings 19. In Psalm 1, the psalmist speaks of a righteous person as being like a uh, a tree planted by streams of living water. And in Luke 19, Zacchaeus climbs down from a sycamore tree and he meets with Jesus. Paul speaks of the church as being like an olive tree, and it's in an olive tree garden called Gethsemane, where Jesus goes to pray and is then arrested. Of course, some flowers and plants have particular significance in certain cultures and situations. If you try to buy a red rose on Valentine's Day, you'll pay double the price because there's an added significance to it. Or there's all the poinsettias at Christmas. And in history, we have things like the War of the Roses, the White of York and the Red of Lancaster. Or if you're following the Six Nations, the Red Rose, the Thistle, the Shamrock, the plants are significant emblems. Or if you're my father-in-law going to watch a rugby match at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, holding an inflatable leak with a daffodil bonnet around your face, there's significance to flowers and plants. And this sort of symbolism and identity is most certainly at play here in this story. And it might help us understand the story that Jesus tells us here in Luke 13. You see, this isn't just any kind of fig tree. It's a fig tree. And the fig tree is an emblem, was an emblem, of peace and prosperity. You would talk about hope for the future by talking about sitting in security under your vine and under your fig tree. And you talk about gathering the fruit of those fig trees in. And we have references to it in Micah 4 and Zechariah 3 and Haggai 2. There's an expectation that a fig tree will bear fruit. And that fruit speaks of peace and prosperity for the people. Conversely, we see in other parts of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, Micah 7, Hosea 9, Jeremiah 8, God searching in vain for figs on the tree or grapes on the vine. The lack of fruit is taken to be a poignant symbol also. And Jesus uses a fig tree in his story about the kingdom of God, here in Luke 13. Like in all the parables that we have in the Gospels, Jesus is offering us a picture, a story, another way of thinking about the world and about God's kingdom. These stories, these parables, uh, things like what we've heard this morning, they are subversive tales of an alternate universe. But this other kingdom isn't comprised of totally different things, of alternative things, but of ordinary things, like coins and trees and wheat and sons and fathers and widows. And it's through these ordinary things that connect with different things in our own lives that Jesus allows us to see how the nature of God is revealed in surprising, even sometimes shocking or scandalous ways. 
Jesus' parables have this knack of being deeply engaging, yet really frustrating at the same time. You can meditate on them, you can struggle with them, you can enter into them, you can speak about them, but what you cannot do is solve them. The very best way to suck the life out of a parable is to attempt to figure out all the precise meaning of each bit of the moral story because the parables aren't about morals, they're about truth. Hidden, unyielding, disruptive truth. The kind of truth that turns lives upside down and simply cannot be contained. To insist on any systematic way of understanding them is like trying to pin a butterfly to the page in order to note how it lives. All that being said, what do we do with a little story of the failing fig tree? So we're told that a man has a fig tree. People often planted fig trees in their vineyards. It's good for the grapes. But this fig tree is not producing any fruit. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? And he tells the one who's taking care of the vineyard to cut it down because for three years... This tree has been Bob useless at giving out any figs. So to hell with it. What a waste of good soil. What is the point in having this tree take up space and soil when it's not doing what it's meant to do? The tree's had its chance. It's never going to amount to anything. It's useless. So let's cut our losses and move on. But the one taking care of the vineyard suggests leaving it for one more year. A year when they can turn over the soil and get the best compost and see what happens. Over that year, they'll give it everything they've got. All Monty's tips from Gardener's World, all those little bits of information from Gardener's Question Time, all the tips that their ancestors have passed down about how to care for fig trees. And if a year of that doesn't do it, then we'll cut it down. Now, we don't know what the man who wants to cut it down thinks of this way forward whenever told. It's not part of the story. The story reads to me like this is then what happens and they take the suggestion that they'll give it one more year. But we don't actually know. Does he let the gardener do that to give it an extra year? Perhaps begrudgingly going along with it? Does it cut it down anyway in spite of the advice of the one who does all the gardening? We don't actually know. What we do know is that as Jesus tells this story, it's part of his journey towards Jerusalem. At this point, his ministry is causing a real stir. The authorities were pressing down on what they saw as this insolence and outrage. The story is not given into a wonderfully peaceful context. This isn't a quaint, sentimental story told about gardening to a nice, peaceful, comfortable group of people. That is not the context of this story at all. So what do we do with it? I don't mind sharing with you that for a fair while I didn't have a clue what to do with this story beyond knowing that I'd get some fig rolls for after the service, which we will duly have. (laughs) And as I thought about it, my mind turned to a preacher who once wrote that it's pretty common for me to look at the text for the coming Sunday and be totally depressed about it. I read it and think, well, I've had a pretty good run, but the gig is up. There's no way I'll find anything to say about this one. I've read all the commentaries and the excellent sermons by great preachers and still nothing. Blank screen. No fruit on this vine. And whilst not all of us here are preachers, 
I suspect almost all of us here would understand something of that feeling of inadequacy, of not being able to do or to be what is expected of us, of feeling the expectations of others are beyond our capacity to fulfil them. So maybe we can relate to the poor fig tree in our parable today. The fig tree that, for whatever reason, cannot produce. I feel like that every so often. Maybe you do too. Unable to produce, to produce the writing, the results at work, the successful job application. Unable to produce a better relationship with your mother or with your son despite years of trying. Maybe we're all fig trees in a way. Unable to start the exercise programme we know that we need. Unable to make our lives more spiritual. Unable to keep a clean kitchen. Whatever it is. And sometimes we just give up. And so friends, I wonder if knowing that reality is one of the reasons why we struggle with this story. Especially if we assume that God is the vineyard owner. Because in this story, the vineyard owner is impatient and angry and ready to judge our pathetic fruitlessness and destroy us for our shortcomings. We could take Jesus as the vineyard owner. He's been coming and seeking the fruit of repentance throughout his ministry, just over three years by this point. But apart from a few followers who themselves get a lot of it wrong, he's found none, no repentance even in the places where he's performed miracles or taught for days. The sacred land was once again failing to bear the fruit as promised. He's determined to give the nation of Israel, God's people, one last chance before they seal their fate, perhaps. And this would reflect something of the hopeful spirit we find in Luke's Gospel, where he weeps over Jerusalem, longing that Israel might be saved, even though he sees storm clouds gathering. But I'm not entirely convinced that Jesus is the vineyard owner in this story. We could take it to be Jesus' heavenly father who's been coming to Israel all these years seeking fruit. And now Jesus is the gardener, the one who is trying to dig round and care for the tree in a last-ditch attempt to have it bear some fruit that it might change. But I'm not sure about that either. The truth is, and here's the good news, is that there aren't often assigned parts in parables. Very occasionally, Jesus does offer us a brief explanation. But generally, there isn't a cast list or an index to work from. And this is partly why we can always close one eye, tilt our head and look at them in other ways and see things in them that we haven't seen before. Parables have room and space for God to speak in fresh ways to each of us. So isn't it strange that when we hear these stories of Jesus, we tend to assume that in Jesus' parables, God is always the wealthy one and the powerful one. God is the king. God is the landowner. God is the vineyard owner. It's not like that's wrong, but it's just not the whole truth of who God is, is it? It's not the story of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus' majesty and glory and godliness wasn't displayed with wealth and power and might. And part of the confusion in this parable, I think, might come from situations we read about in in Matthew 21 and in Mark 11, where Jesus curses a fig tree. But those are not parables. There are other things going on in each of those passages. So 
just because there's a fig tree in them doesn't mean that there's a connection. And here in this parable, the vineyard owner doesn't sound like the God we know, the God revealed in Jesus Christ, the God who came to dwell with us, full of grace and truth, the God who doles out forgiveness like churches hand out biscuits and eats with sinners and invites everyone to God's table. Now, the vineyard owner in this story is angry and impatient. I think the vineyard owner sounds a bit more like us, like you, and like me. I'm the one who judges myself and others, wondering why we can never pull off the things we want to say or do, and the things uh, why others seem to be drawing perfectly good nutrients from the soil, and we still seem to be languishing fruitlessly. I feel like the vineyard owner and the tree all at once as I read this story, like my own defendant, judge, and jury at the same time. Anyone else know the feeling? Anyone else walking around feeling like this some of the time? Maybe much of the time. I know that there is, but we can get good at hiding it in church. We're impatient with ourselves, we're impatient with others, which is why this little parable has the capacity to break our hearts wide open if we will let it. If we realise that we feel like both the tree and the vineyard owner at the same time, both the one who does not produce and the one who harshly judges the lack of production, well, when we realise that, it can feel amazing to make the next jump, which is to realise that God is the one in our lives who steps in with a big trowel full of grace and advocates for us, who speaks up for us and says, one more year. There remains in this parable an expectation that this tree should bear fruit, but it hasn't yet. Perhaps it's just a little early. Fig trees can take a few years to get going once they're planted, I'm told. Perhaps that person isn't ready yet. Perhaps that thought needs a bit more incubation. Perhaps we're expecting things too soon. Good trees take time. Good things take time. There's always a latest this, a flash in the pan that, but the good stuff needs cultivating. We can hurry on to something too soon when maybe we should be giving it one more year. Perhaps the vineyard owner is just getting down a bit too early, a bit pessimistic. Pessimists are often ahead of their time. People who had a great idea once but left it feeling disappointed. You know, we think it's great, let's go plant a fig tree and then we expect it to blossom fully within a couple of days. I'm not sure it's changed that much since, but I had a reputation at university for my cooking being a bit like that. It's been in the oven three minutes at full temperature. Why is it not ready? I don't understand. But this tree, of course, we don't know. This tree could have been there a long time and had long enough to bear its fruit. Sometimes, however much we try, sometimes, however much we work at something in this life, it just doesn't bear fruit. It stops doing what it used to do. It doesn't hit the mark anymore. Sometimes it's time to move on. The group we're running isn't as popular as it used to be. Or devotional routine that's worked for us for years has become dry and laborious. Whatever it is, there comes a time when we realise that we have to mix it up a bit and do something different. The work of God, friends, is often seasonal. And as well as seasons beginning, that means seasons also have to come to an end. 
We're called to build with scaffolding in God's kingdom, not cement, to be flexible, to be adaptable. Jesus was always on the move. It would have been an absolute nightmare to be the production manager for the Parables and Miracles tour. It's so full of change and rerouting and new thinking. Too often we get stuck and our faith is a static one. Have we moved on? How have we grown? What has changed? What fruit has the Holy Spirit in us produced for God's kingdom? How has the last year been for you? God has been speaking. The question is, have we been listening? Sometimes what God has to say to us isn't necessarily even a new thing. Sometimes it's a return to the old thing. Sometimes it's a reaffirmation of what we've been told before and the challenge is to continue being faithful. We have to listen and discern. For whilst we are sinners' friends, Jesus is our saviour. And whilst sin and brokenness is our story, a new story of love and truth and mercy and joy is being written in your life at this very moment. And if we are continually open to the Spirit, we should see our lives being changed. You know, we should get better at this. We should find ourselves being more patient, more kind, more compassionate, more loving, more encouraging, more able to recognise God's voice and see where the Spirit is moving. How are you doing? Have you grown? Are you giving yourself every opportunity to grow? Sometimes we're in a season of life where that's really difficult. But the challenge, even when that season ends, is not to get stuck in that place. All of this is so we can do everything within our power to extend God's kingdom, to share the kingdom, to live and demonstrate the kingdom of God in our very lives. Growing in our faith is not only something that's good in and of itself. It's in growing and exploring more of the love that God has for us that we're able to share that hope and that joy with others. If we can point to how our lives have changed, if people can see how following Jesus might change us for the better, then who knows what might be possible. So much to think about from one little story that Jesus told thousands of years ago. It's a reminder that there should be some fruit. It's a story that speaks to us of how seasons end as well as start. It's a sign of the patience and the tenderness and the grace with which Jesus treats us, his little fig trees. God hasn't given up on any of us, and God won't. Jesus has redeemed and rescued us, and continues to offer us new life and new hope through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it seem like this tree is in need of resurrecting? Might we be in need of resurrecting in some way this morning? Praise God that the one we follow knows exactly how to make this happen. Bringing new life is what Jesus is all about. And so, friends, another year, another month, another week, another day. This is what God comes offering us this morning. Another opportunity. One more year, people of God. One more year to do what needs to be done. One more year to believe that you really are the beloved child of God, that God has claimed you to be. One more year to trust in God more than money. One more year to forgive others. One more year to forgive yourself. One more year to put your mistakes behind you, or better yet, see them as the fertiliser God puts around you so that you can produce fruit. 
One more year to be fed at the table of God's grace. One more year to be captured by the story of Jesus Christ. One more year to help someone else. One more year to feel loved. One more year. This is the God we see in Jesus Christ. A God who tells our inner judgy vineyard owner to back off because you are a precious child of God and God has named and claimed and forgiven and loved you as God's very own so that you can in turn bear fruit. And so to us all, God says again, one more year, my little fig trees, one more year. Amen to that.